The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Some Greeks who had come to worship at the Passover feast came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Amen, amen, I say to you. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains just a grain of wheat. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will preserve it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, there also will my servant be. The Father will honor whoever serves me. I am troubled now. Yet what should I say? Father, save me from this hour. But it was for this purpose that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd there heard it and said it was thunder. But others said, An angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come for my sake, but for yours. Now is the time of judgment on this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. He said this indicating the kind of death he would die. The Gospel of the Lord. Dear brothers and sisters, we celebrate this fifth Sunday of Lent, we're we're really kind of coming to the end of this Lenten season, this Lenten pilgrimage, or this Lenten retreat. Next Sunday, we'll celebrate Palm Sunday and hear the reading of the Lord's Passion, The Tuesday following, there'll be an opportunity for lots of confessions here at St. Wenceslas at 7 p.m. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we'll celebrate the Triduum and finally to celebrate the resurrection on Easter Sunday. And, and the church focuses us in on this dynamic of, of suffering and looking at really why our Lord came. When Jesus says, 
It was for this purpose that I came. He also says, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains just a grain, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. And then to his disciples, he says, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will preserve it for eternal life. That that this dimension of suffering, this necessity of death, is very much a part of our lives and a part of our Christian experience. And I would say it's a part of our Christian experience that we, we talk about a lot and, and we talk about how suffering is redemptive and, and we talk about you know, the necessity of suffering, but we can do so in a distorted kind of way or we can do so without really understanding it. You know, I remember when I was younger, when I was a kid, like anything I didn't like, my parents were like, offer it up. And I, and I remember just thinking to myself, what does that mean? Like, what, what does that mean? Like, like, how does that work? Like, if I'm walking around and I stub my toe or something, and then I'm, like, complaining because I have this pain in my foot, and they say, offer it up. Okay, like, Jesus, I give you my stubbed toe, but it still hurts. Like, that didn't help me. And, and, and the other thing that we will say a lot about suffering is embrace your cross, right? To embrace your cross. Like, we all have our crosses in life. And, and so those two things seem kind of, like, contradictory as one involves, like, offering it up and the other involves, like, embracing and holding on to. And so we can miss out on, on something really important, which is that like suffering is an invitation to obedience, which is surrender to the love of our Lord. And suffering is an invitation to obedience, which is surrender to the love of our Lord. And we can miss out on that. In the letter to the Hebrews, it's written, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And when he was made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. And so Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered. There's something about suffering and obedience or suffering and surrender. And there's a Methodist theologian who he actually calls himself a sort of like a pseudo Mennonite, Methodist, Catholic, something like, like, so Stanley Harvass is a very interesting character. And, and he writes a lot on suffering, especially with regard to like medicine and illnesses. And, and when he talks about suffering, the way he formulates it is he talks about how human beings, like we're the only creatures that, that can really imagine what our future is going to look like. Right? Human beings are the only ones that can like, imagine that our life is something other than it is. Right? That we can imagine our life is something other than it is. Like, a human being can look up in the sky and see a bird flying, 
and think to themselves, I want to fly like that, and then build an airplane. That's an amazing thing, right? It's, it's what it means that we have a transcendent quality to being a human person. We can imagine our life to be different than it is. And, and that's, how, that's why we can dream and we can hope for things to be different. We can, we can make the world a better place. We can do all of that. And, and because of that, then that means that we all sort of think about our lives and we have a past, we have the present moment, and we have a future. And, and we all have hopes and dreams for our future. And suffering is when there's, there's something that happens in the present moment that makes the future we were hoping for impossible. Right? That makes that future we were hoping for impossible. So, like, there might be a woman and she has three small children. I have a friend who, she had three small children and she had cancer. And so, so her suffering involves the fact that she has cancer, but she also has suffering insofar as she had hopes and dreams for her life. She thought that she would someday see her children get married. She thought that someday she would see her grandchildren. She thought that someday she was going to fill her house with her whole big extended family for the holidays. And now she has a couple of years to live and she's not going to have any of that. And so, so the suffering she has is both the fact that she has cancer, which is a pain in the present, but it's also the loss of her imagined future. Or it's the loss of the way I think my life should be or the way I thought my life would be. And every kind of suffering we have involves this difference between what my life is and what I think my life should be or supposed to be or I thought it would be. So there might be an athlete, right? Like, I always use Joe Theismann as an example, but that dates me. I'm pretty old, but a lot of you know who I'm talking about. Right? He was a quarterback for the Washington Redskins. Like, he, was, he had a great career in front of him, and then he got hit by Lawrence Taylor and uh, broke his femur. Like his leg went like the wrong way on Monday Night Football. And so he lost his entire career. And so, so his suffering is not simply like I have a broken leg. It's also I'm not going to play in that Super Bowl and I'm not going to play next year. I'm not going to play the year after that. I'm not going to. And, and so the suffering is like that distance between like the way my life is and the way I thought it would be. Or the way I think it's supposed to be. Like, do you ever, like, have, like, it should be another way? You know, like, I woke up this morning, like, at 7.30 Mass, like, Father Jarofsky did not come over to help with communion. There was no acolyte. And I'm like, there should be an acolyte. And we, and we can do that a lot, right? Like, like, that person shouldn't have cut me off. And whenever we're using should... Right? We're, we're in that world of, like, uh, it's fantasy, right? It's fantasy. It's not living in the concrete reality. And so all of our suffering is that gap between my life as it is and the life I think should be. And so suffering is redemptive when we suffer like Christ suffered. And St. Paul says, though he was in the form of God, he didn't deem equality with God something to be held on to or something to be grasped at. Because our Lord also has a life that should be. 
but he should be in eternal communion and love with the Father forever. That's his life that should be. But he didn't deem equality with God something to be held on to. He emptied himself and took the form of a slave, being born in the likeness of men. He became sin, taking on himself the consequence of the sin of the whole world, even though he didn't merit it. And he embraced his cross. And so that distance in Jesus' life is infinitely wide. There's an infinitely wide gap between the life that should be and the life that is. And what he does is he relinquishes to the Father the life that should be. I don't deem that something to be held on to. Father, I offer you that life of eternal joy and peace that we've had in the Trinity. And he embraces the cross, taking on the consequence of the sin of the whole world. And in the midst of that, he does have suffering. And he says, my heart is troubled. My heart is troubled now. Yet what should I say, Father, Save me from this hour? Like, I can't really say, I I have to do this. This is why I came into the world. And so, Father, I offer you the life where I don't have to go to the cross. And I invite you to be with me in this moment. And I surrender my life to you in this moment. He'll say the same prayer in Gethsemane three different times. He'll go and say, Father, if it's possible, take this away from me, but not my will be done, but yours. I surrender myself to you. I trust you. Even though my current circumstances aren't very pleasurable and I don't really like them very much. And so what gets offered up is is this sense of what my life should be like or the way I think things ought to be in this moment, in this place, in this time. In order to invite our Lord into the pain that we have to transform that pain because we've surrendered our hearts to him and that takes great humility and that's the first step of transformation. And then he can make us something new. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains just a grain. And so there's large ways and small ways that we do that. But whenever we find ourselves in that life of fantasy that says, like, man, things should be different right now. It's an opportunity to grow in surrender. It's an invitation to a greater obedience, which is a surrender to the love of our Lord. And sometimes we do that well, and sometimes we don't do it so well. And right now, we don't have to look very far to find things that shouldn't be the way they are. And in the midst of all of that, it's an, there's an invitation from our Lord to surrender our hearts and to grow and to be transformed. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains just a grain. You know, and we have to do that all the time. 
You know, we have to do that all the time. Because if we don't do it, it turns into a resentment. And it closes us off to the love of God. It closes us off to the love of God. You know, there are many times this week where I was saying, Jesus, I offer you the life where Father Deward never got sick and he's still here. <laughs> and I just invite you into the ministry that you've called me to in this place and this time to transform it, you know, because otherwise, what's my alternative? My alternative is to walk around with a resentment, you know, like, like when I came up here to help out, I didn't know I'd be the only priest living in the rectory now. But there's a gift in that. You know, and our Lord's giving me a gift in that. But I don't have access to that gift if I hold on to that resentment, if I hold on to that like life that should be. And, and those opportunities present themselves all the time. That's what we enter into in Holy Week. In Holy Week, we enter into the passion, death, and resurrection of our Lord. And we learn from him how to surrender our life and how to offer up like that tension and ask our Lord to transform our heart. And when he does transform our heart, then people notice that and they see that. You know, these Greeks saw Philip and they saw something was different about him. And they knew he hung out with Jesus. So they said, let us like, we want to meet Jesus too, because there's something different about you. And that's the goal. That's, that should be the goal for every single person in our parish, that, that we're so transformed that when you're at the grocery store and somebody you see every single day is like, hey, what's going on with you? You just seem like more joyful right now. Like, I came to know our Lord in a more profound way. It's amazing. I'd love to tell you about it. It's a much better thing to talk about. And it's a very needed thing to talk about. And the one thing that is certain in our own times is that our Lord wants to transform the world. We know that. And it starts with letting him do that here. And so today let us pray that that our hearts be open as we, as we come into this end of the Lenten season, that our hearts be open to whatever our Lord's trying to do there. That we have the grace to, to offer to him, to surrender to him, just any source of resentment, any source of suffering, that kind of the source of that tension. The presence of mind to offer up our shoulds. And just invite the Holy Spirit to transform the life that we live each day. That we may be living witnesses who glorify our Lord Jesus Christ in every thought, every word, every work of our lives.